Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. The Ad News Podcast, the podcast that celebrates the industry's penchant for a sociable drop and a chat. Hello and welcome to Ad News Pubcast. Journalist Arvind Hickman here and today I'm joined by Ad News Editor Rosie Baker, Group M CEO Mark Lolbach and Mindshare Boss Katie Riggs-Smith. Today we're going to take a look at media pictures and etiquette, the power of procurement. We'll also discuss client behaviour and how this impacts upon agencies. Uh, We'll move on to diversity and we'll ask our guests their views about the big media issue for 2017. But to begin with, and Mark, until recently, you were the CMO of McDonald's. I just wanted to ask you, what is your McDonald's meal of choice? You know, all the burning questions to start (laughs) with. Uh, It's a really good question. Um, Probably one of my favourite burgers is the fillet of fish. Okay. What about you, Katie? Um, I'm celiac, so I can't have any of it. Oh, Oh, that's no good. See, my classic go-to is a Happy Meal with an extra burger. And an extra toy. Yeah. And an extra toy, of It's course. all about the toy. It's all about it? the toy. <laughs> okay. I'm a big Mac man myself. But let's start off with um, pitches. Now, when we were in the lobby, Katie, you were saying that you know, the, the pitching season seems to be relentless and never-ending. Have, have you noticed this increasing in frequency or decreasing in frequency? Um, it's certainly been a, a rather unprecedented 12 months, I think, in the industry. And I guess what we were talking about in the lobby was that a lot of people have started to guess that maybe it'll come off at the end of the year or I still think the pitching will be pretty prolific until well into next next year. So, What, what about you, Mark, from, from a, coming from a client perspective until recently? Have you noticed um, some of your marketer colleagues at other brands looking to pitch more regularly? Uh, I definitely think... There's a culture in the industry today um, on the client side in particular, uh, and I say this positively, but there is a culture of, of pitching. Um, I think the cycle seems to be getting shorter, yeah. so therefore we're, the people are pitching faster. Um, and I think rather than trying to work with agencies and resolve issues, it seems to be the easy default is just to say, you know what, uh, we've been together for X years or a long time anyway, why don't we, why don't we go to pitch? There's no doubt. I think there's there's, and I, I would say that I think there's more pitching going on than is probably necessary. Mm. What, what do you think are the main drivers for this extra pitching activity? On the client side, there's a lot of pressure coming on to budgets on every level, mm. um, and unfortunately, when a procurement organisation, either internal, or a lot of companies are now hiring external agencies to come in, what they do is it's very simple. They get the uh, expense sheet and they get the ledger or the journal and they have a look at it and the number that's sitting right at the top normally after paying for whatever materials, raw materials they need for whatever industry, normally the number one discretionary spend shows up is media. Mm. Um, and that's why I think it gets a lot of attention. And, and, and from an agency perspective, what sort of pressure does all of this pitching in the market um, place on, on agencies? I always think, 
you have to take the good and the bad. So I think with pitches, it naturally puts pressure on your teams to deliver extra work and um, a lot of short turnarounds. So mm. there is that that kind of pressure. Um, there's also pressure to up your game on your current clients because the main thing, whenever we get a pitch come in, our first thing is to go, all right, what are our current clients doing and how do we deploy extra love to them so that they don't feel at any point that they're second because that just leads to more pitching and more. So you've really got to make sure that you're really ramping up your love on your current clients so mm. that they don't feel anything. The good of pitches is that I believe it helps you step change agencies. So it puts things under a microscope and particularly from a CEO leadership point of view, you're in it day in, day out and you can see what might need to be changed or what you need to evolve and that has a benefit for your current clients. So certainly the good and the bad because honestly, otherwise, why would you pitch? Did you think the short-term nature of, of what seems to be media client relationships actually affects your ability to, to provide the best media planning? Um, I will say that we're lucky to have a lot of amazing clients. So I, I do have to just say as an overall observation, though, if there were clients listening to this, um, I think the pitching puts fear. And that's what I think is the biggest issue right now is that fear paralyzes people. So if you're under constant pressure and there's this hanging threat that, well, we'll pitch or they're going to pitch or the market are rumoured there's a pitch, all that does is the people working day in, day out on your account feel fear. Mm. So that means they might not be as innovative because they don't want to rock the boat or it might mean that they drop the basics because they're scared something or they're not having open and honest conversations back to you as a client, which I see our number one job is to consult back and be challenging the status quo. And if you're living in fear that um, they're going to pitch and that you've just got to tell them yes to everything, it does not promote a really healthy relationship that will make sure you deliver the best thinking and best media for your clients. So I do hope that the clients do realise that that element of fear, I don't believe is good for, for them overall. Mm. Do you think that it kind of, um, it seems as though it might be an easy option if you've got problems? I mean, every kind of client and every agency is facing huge challenges and, and you know, changes to what they actually have to do. And it seems like it could be an easy option to get a new partner, to get some fresh thinking when actually, actually the the harder job is to look at what your strategy is and what you want to achieve. Absolutely. I call it the Tinder effect. But I do believe we live in a world now where you swipe left. Or is it right? I, I, I swear my husband, I'm not on Tinder. I, I got married before Tinder. Um, but I do believe there is this short-term nature and, and everything is, okay, so we're under pressure, therefore let's just swipe left. Let, let, let's look to the next one and let's look to the next one. And you've seen that in some pictures where it's coming up to review only 18 months to two years after. And certainly five or six years ago, that was unheard of. A big pitch would go to market and that rela relationship, certainly from my point of view, when you're looking at what clients you'll go after, you'd know that would be shored up for the next six years the next six to eight years. And there's and a bit now, more certainty and consistency. Exactly, and now it, it's not. So um, I, I do certainly think there is that, you know, we're, we're always going to look for something quicker to solve because I do understand clients are under a lot of pressure as well. I mean, just a bit of a uh, side angle maybe about the defence of the clients. I do believe part of what's driving the, the volume of pitching we're getting is um, a view of the client that they actually need to know what's going on and the industry is going through a lot of change. There's a lot of jargon. Um, most of them don't really understand it in depth. And one of the ways to actually go out and explore and find out what are the different tools, what are the different approaches, how are people handling digital versus programmatic, etc. One of the best ways to educate yourself is actually to say, you know what, I'm going to throw it out to pitch and then I'm going to see three or four different agencies give me a very, very different perspective on it. So that side of it I think is really healthy. And I think that's definitely what's driving it is that people want to know what's going on. 
um, and what what are the capabilities of different agencies. So that's I think the positive side for us as well. I think that's true. It's not always doesn't always have to be a bad thing, and it's kind of it's you know if you're a marketer and you're not thinking actually am I getting the right things from my from my agency partners? Have I got the most up to date kind of you know capabilities? If you're not thinking that, then you probably should be as well, right? And yeah. as an agency, yeah. you should be able to defend it. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Again, you should take it as an opportunity to sometimes when you've worked with clients for a long time, you don't get to showcase all the new things that you've been doing because you've got a, a longer relationship. And so it's also a great way to make sure you do that. Although if any of my clients are listening, please don't pitch. <laughs> <laughs> we love you all. But what about the increasing role of procurement in, in media pitches? Um, I quite often hear stories about um, pitches and a media agency will say that they've won the scorecard, but the business will go elsewhere afterwards. Have you noticed a growing influence um, from procurement in, in how these processes are being run? Um, yes. So, again, if I can talk maybe first-hand experience on this one. Um, I think procurement have a really important role to play. And I'm talking internal procurement, or sometimes people are using third parties like Portland or whatever. Um, I think they absolutely have a role to play. The thing that I, I guess I've, I've become probably more frustrated around and quite vocal around is they should manage the process, not the decision-making. Mm. And I think what we're seeing much more, is certainly our experience, is when you get towards the end of the pitch... The CMOs, and I say this really, really politely, but they almost disappear, and it ends up being a very, very, you know, financially driven procurement discussion. Mm. Um, and that's not always going to get the best outcome. I think um, they definitely should run the process, but the CMO and the marketing team, at the end of the day, they have to work with that agency. They're responsible for the output. They're responsible for that managing the relationship, the strength of that relationship, and the quality of work. So I think you know everyone has a role to play, but let's not delegate. You know, let's make sure that the CMO is at the table and making the right decision. And look, at the end of the day, you get what you pay for. Mm. And I think as an industry, we can't forget that. It's like you can't go and buy a Lexus at the same price as a Mazda or you can't get all the options for free. We are a service organisation. We invest in people. We invest in technology. And that costs money. And we do it on behalf of our clients to do a better job. And I think we should be open and have adult conversations around that. And maybe we need to be more flexible in our packaging of that. And maybe there's low-cost clients who don't want all the frills and there's more you know, expensive clients in a way. But um, having it just a commercial decision, I don't think is the right way the industry should go. Mm. Well, what have you noticed, Katie, in terms of the growing influence of procurement? Um, I think that the reality is that procurement play a very big role, so we have to accept that and work with it. And, you know, um, I've actually had some great experience with mm. some procurement who um, end up being very fair and want... They know that the success of their business going forward is if the agency's healthy and they're healthy. Mm. I think the difference is, and some of the things Mark was talking to, is we all put on our best show in pitches. Of course we're going to put our best foot forward. And sometimes the haggling over price at the end means that some of the things they Mm. saw is no longer part of their scope of work. Mm. And I'm not sure it's always communicated Mm. back to the marketing team that what they saw then got diluted Mm. into, oh, that, that those two streams of work are now optional and only if we need them will you get them. So then there's you set up to fail a little bit from the beginning because the marketing team are like, we were so amazed and now we get all of this. And you're like, no, actually half of that got stripped out by procurement or by the final decision. And if everyone was really open and honest about that, I think it would be an easier starting point. So it's just being really open about the communication, the contract and what was decided to be in and out of scope. It must be quite frustrating, though, when you go through a, a media pitch, you invest a lot of time and resources um, with the pitch, um, do a great job in the presentation, and then at the end of the day, it's just about price. Oh, incredibly frustrating. But I'm going to go with the purest, naive and strategic mind that I am, which is I also think 
we decide to pitch. So there are times where I hear the industry complaining a lot and I think, well, we didn't have to. You know, no one held a gun. Well, actually, they sometimes... <laughs> Mark has held a gun to my head. No, no one held a gun to my head and said you have to pitch for this. So we, we make the decision. So you go in eyes open. It is incredibly frustrating when it's made on money. But I think most clients would sit there and go, it wasn't really made on money. We The people that lose go, it was made on money. Mm. And the people that win go, no, we're getting paid a really fair amount. So I think it's one of those default answers. Again, I could be wrong. My experience is if we've lost a pitch, I don't believe it's been money. I think it's something we didn't do right. And when we've won a pitch, it certainly hasn't been that we've dropped our money down because I'm not interested in doing business on those terms. So I guess, again, I take a rather purist point of view. And if it's Pollyanna of me, I'll, I'll hold on to it because <laughs> it keeps me turning up every day for more. Yeah. The, it keeps you optimistic. It, yeah. <laughs> it does. It does. Uh, look, the build I would make on that as well, which is, again, from a positive point of view, I actually think there's a bit of maturity happening as well. I've, I've seen a turn, even in the last two or three months, and talking to some of the pitch consultants, looking at some of the wins we've had our, our, ourselves, we know we weren't the cheapest, but we won the business for all the right reasons. Um, when I talk to procurement um, you know, advisors and that, they say they're certainly trying to help educate clients that there is a cost. Agencies do need to have a, you know, an income to be able to, to run their business effectively and hire the right people um, and that the final decision should not just be about money. So I think there is a turn. I think there's a maturity and conversation happening. And I think the more we can have conversations like this where we just raise it and talk about it openly, there's not, it's not good or bad and it's not right or wrong. It's just something that we have to be aware of. There are trade-offs. And um, let's just have an open conversation. Yeah, and I think, and I know you mentioned this at the beginning, is something we would probably talk about, and I can't believe I'm bringing up transparency (laughs) as a topic because it's so loaded. But I do think the transparency debate is also great because that should highlight if an agency is putting in something that doesn't even cover the cost of their team, then where are they getting their money from? Mm. So hopefully as well this whole discussion and... um, more transparency around contracts and transparency guidelines will just mean that as an industry, clients' procurement can see that there's got to be some type of fee being paid that makes sense for the business. So if it's not, then where is the agency making money? Has all this pitching led to massive undercutting in terms of fees offered by some agencies and just a general driving down of price? I, I don't know because, again, every time you're involved in a pitch, you're told you're too expensive. Mm. So, like, there's no, there's no time a procurement goes to you. Hey, put your prices up. You're, you're cheap. So you're always told you're, you're more expensive than the market and then um, you're potentially told that the other agencies have moved. Again, I can only make decisions based on mindshare and, and um, my ultimate responsibility to my agency, my clients, and then Group M. So even if people are undercutting, it's not substantial. And I think that's why we've seen that Tinder effect also happening is that whereas before you go in long-term relationships and you'd have built a good team and you've held your ground and you might hold the account for six years, 10 years, whatever, now the fact that we're seeing clients rotate after 18 months suggests that what agencies are putting forward to get that business is not sustainable and the clients are like, wait a second, that wasn't what I signed up for. Mm. I'm going to move on. So again, you you get caught out if you undercut. You just do because you can't service the account to the level that you're expected to. I think that's really fair. We're hearing probably more and more of that occurring. Um, I think the other thing that we should be able to do, again, trying to have this sort of adult adult conversation, is we have to be better at walking away from business as well. So if it does get down to that point, we've got to believe in our people, we've got to believe in our product and our service and generally want to produce outstanding work. Um, And if it means that we get to a point where we have to say, you know what, we'd love to be able to do that, but we can't give you what you want at that price we should be able to, in a very mature way, walk away as well. 
Okay. Transparency is obviously a hot topic at the moment. It's been been a hot topic for a while. It probably always will be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Double yeah. Um, A recently um, released its guidelines and a contract template to try and address transparency. What was your reaction to the documents that they released? Um, my reaction, so I've read the guidelines, I'll be completely honest, the contract um, template is with my commercial director who's going through it to give me a bit of assessment because obviously that's his his um, area of expertise. Look, I don't see anything wrong with it. I, I, again, the more conversations we can have about uh, transparency, I think the purpose of the document was, I guess, some education for some clients who maybe don't know some of those um, areas and mm. want to know the conversation they should be having around it. I certainly don't think the intent is it's one size fits all. And again, I read through it and thought, yeah, these are conversations I have with our clients regularly or I'm not afraid to have with any of them that want to have that chat. Again, I don't know what the contract template has and I don't know the impact of that, but I do know the guidelines for me just felt like a good conversation starter and nothing that didn't seem reasonable. What about, what about you, Mark? Yeah, so look, um, I, I welcome the concept of having a, a template, okay? Um, I also have, a, I'm quite, to keep things very simple, I like to take a step back and say, why do we have contracts in the first place? The reason we have contracts is they're actually just meant to be at the end of the process and actually meant to be a written documentation of what has been agreed between two parties for what they want and at the right fee. So to me, I come back to that's what we should do with every client. Mm. So if at the end of it, there's just a thing we call a contract, which just says, I want to be really clear with you. So we're very open about it. This is what's my expectation of you as a client. And this is what my expectation of you as a, a offerer of service. Um, no problems at all. So I think it's great. We'll have the conversations. We'll absolutely um, work through it with um, our clients. But, you know, I, for Group M, I have to say in all the Group M agencies, we have great contracts with all our clients already. Um, we're more audited than anybody else. Uh, we are yet to fail an audit on a contract. We welcome any of our clients come in and order audit um, our business and order their contracts. Because again, the contract should be a reflection of what the two parties have agreed to do. And that's what we should get, be getting ordered against. So um, contracts are important, but let's remember what they are. To me, they're an output mm. rather than the centre of a discussion. Okay. Having a look at the um, contract guidance document, um, it highlights a whole range of questions that sh uh, marketers sh could potentially ask agencies. Can I just ask, putting on your CMO hat, yeah. how many CMOs or, or marketing people out there do you think would actually think about asking these questions? Did you, do you think that there's quite a lot of marketers that would be clued up on this, or do you think this, this is actually providing some oh. interesting education for... No, so look, I... Um I think one of our roles in the industry, um, having come this side, is actually to simplify and educate mm. um, our clients because it is a crazy world at the moment on every level, technology, contracts, you name it, um, income streams and how do agencies make money, etc. Uh, it varies by client. If the big clients, there's no surprises. Yep. The Unilevers, the Proctors, the McDonald's, they've got media buyers in their teams that are experts that have grown up and worked in the industry for years. So a lot of those clients, and we deal with them regularly, they're like, what's all this hot air and noise about? Let's get on with business rather than being distracted by noise around transparency. Um, I think there are some maybe smaller clients who don't necessarily have that resource that may be going, oh, I didn't even know about that. Or that's an interesting question. And great. I think, you know, as I said, our job should be to have adult to adult conversations with our clients. And if that helps them, um, I have no problems. I think it's a good thing. Would, would you generally disclose some of this information as just a normal, usual course of, of drafting a contract? Um, yeah. So, look, I think any of our clients, I mean, it comes back to where we start. We sit down and ask them what would they like and what do they need. And, um, and even these days... And you guys know this as well. Before you even get to the contract stage, when you're at the RFP stage, you're declaring all of this anyway. Mm. 
Now, today, in the RFPs that come through, we have to answer all those questions about transparency, about rebates, whatever. That's all done right up front mm. before we even get into the pitch process. So, again, there's been, I think, a big change in this space. And I think the, and I say this really politely, I think the media are probably making more noise about this and think it's more exciting. That would be us. No, no, no. No <laughs> offence over there. I think the other media. No, yeah. not you. The other media people. Um, but it's like anything. Like, there's a topic that sometimes just gets attention and it sort of gets a lot of attention. This, um, also, the, some of the CMOs I've spoken to, this has been going on for years and it's almost like we're a bit bored with it. Isn't there not any other issue that we can talk about as an industry? Um, and also, can we have conversations that take the industry forward versus trying to look for um, scandals or issues? I mean, it's a great industry. It's full of really good people. Um, and I think some people are just getting a bit bored with it as well. Mm. I think that's a really interesting thing about the ANA's guidelines is that it's trying to push it forward. It's not sort of just talking mm. around the same subject. It's actually yeah. providing you know, or aiming to provide clients and advertisers with here are some questions you should ask if you don't know what you should be asking about and I think yeah. that that's that's a really good thing and Katie it was interesting you said that you know you're not afraid to answer some of these questions because some of them are probably topics that agencies have maybe in the past not not really wanted to disclose some of these things I mean do you think that across the market there will be some agencies that are like I, I don't want to answer that I'm not I'm not comfortable with that and why do you think that that why do you think that is so I, I think there will be and again I will never um like my competitors because I think we work in a wonderful industry and I um I genuinely uh, really do appreciate and respect a lot of the competitors that we we're up against um but I do think that Group M we've had to tackle the conversation around transparency for maybe a bit longer so we've mm. had to get a lot more comfortable with answering the questions anyway um and so we've done that and we're very comfortable with it I think that clients fall into two camps and I'm again fortunately I get to work with one camp in particular, but where they either want their agencies to make money and be a profitable business, or for some reason they don't think media agencies should make any money at all. And so I think if people are scared to have the transparency discussion or answer any of those questions, it's probably because they're scared that this is a client that will, you know, not want them to have a healthy business model. Again, every client wants you to do it transparently, and I'm not suggesting you should make money in any other way. But if to answer your question, why would some people be afraid to have the conversation? It could be that they're afraid that that client goes, oh, well, I don't want you making money. And, and there is for some reason that. And we're a service industry in the same way our clients are either service or creating product in the same way they don't. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Charge their customers cost price. They, they, you know, pay for their consultancy or they pay for a product. We're lucky enough to have open relationships with their clients where they're paying for either the consultancy or product that we're delivering. 
again, they know it. They know what they're paying for. Yeah. Mark, actually, last time we spoke, we um, we had a very interesting conversation about this and you sort of explained the, the services and products that the agencies are kind of launching and moving into in a really interesting sort of analogy that I hadn't sort of thought of before. And you were talking about how if you're a um, if you're an FMCG yeah. manufacturer, you extend your product lines right. into different areas. And yeah. I found that a really interesting way of thinking about it that I'd not have thought of before. Can you run gonna, through that? I was, I was going to jump in. That's great. So thanks for that opportunity. Look, um, and I, I say this again coming into the agency, I was a bit frustrated being on the Group M side now because I don't think as an industry we've done a good enough job of actually educating clients what a media services organisation does. In a way, by not talking about it, it's created this, it must be something naughty or they're doing something dodgy because they're not talking about it. Actually, we do some fantastic stuff. We have some proprietary media that I'm super proud of. We've got technology that we invest in that delivers amazing services and results to our clients that we make a margin on and which we're open about and, and we talk about. Now, if we had done that earlier and, and said to clients, guess what? In the old days, it was really simple. We made a commission and we got a 10% rebate from the media vendor and everybody knew and it was 17 or 20% depending on what the contract was and it was very simple. Today the, that world doesn't exist and, and I guess there's been a lot more focus down on costs etc. Um, I think as a media industries if we want to keep surviving we have to diversify and that was the example I used. You know Procter & Gamble for example had said we're a shampoo company and all they made was shampoo and the market moved into conditioners and face care and all that stuff, guess what? Their business would be shrinking and they wouldn't have a business today. They didn't. They stood back and said, how do we innovate? How do we create additional revenue streams? How do we grow? We have shareholders, they have shareholders. And what, what we are as management of these companies are charged with is to deliver fantastic service and through delivering fantastic service, grow our businesses. As shareholders and for us to invest in people and invest in more technology to help our clients, we have to deliver a margin and we have to deliver growth. So that's why I think it's a fantastic opportunity. We shouldn't be shy about it. We should openly talk about we are going to have multiple sources of revenue. Some of those will be client fee-based. Some of those will be services-based, could be consulting, it could be through uh, analytics, it could be something else, or it could be through proprietary media products that we have developed and that we do offer our clients. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's always got to come, again, back to that, strategic purist in me it's always got to come from a client and their customer need mm. so it's never a hard sell to a client to okay. offer them a service if they genuinely need it and it's something that's going to drive their business forward yep. so it's also about looking at your business and going what do your clients need where are yep. they moving where are their business where's their business yes. moving and how do we help facilitate and step change their growth and then let's have a conversation about what products we can develop for them as opposed to here's the suite of things we we're going to make money off can you buy it from us that that mm. never works so again it's about having a really adult conversation about where both businesses need to go and we're being led by what they need as opposed to necessarily just creating products for the, for the sake of it. Do you, do you feel there is a disconnect between what media agencies actually do and the marketer's perception of what media agencies do? I don't know if you want no, to take that for, as being a client as coming in. Uh, um, I don't... Look, I don't think so. I, I think clients... Um, they probably think it's easier. What what media agencies do, they probably think is easier than actually really is. Um, I don't think, as a client, I don't think I really spent the time thinking about just how complex media planning and and strategy development is today. Just because of the amount of technology, the fragmentation, the amount of choices, the difference in measurement systems, etc. Um, so no, I don't think. So. I think. You know, I think clients, as we said earlier, look, they're just under huge amounts of of pressure. Um, and look, and I think we, we should be grateful as well. I think one of the things that makes media as exciting as what it is, 
is we are the front end of driving the growth of their businesses as well. It's a big spend, but they need a big return on that as well. So I think we, you know, we should take that on as a huge privilege that we are helping guide and make decisions with clients to help generate growth for them. And it's one that's under the most scrutiny. Yeah, and I, I, I do agree. I think clients understand what media can deliver for their business. I think the one thing we probably need to do better education around is that now there's so many specialised skill sets. Mm. That actually used to be three people on your team. Mm. Now that's actually... 10 people that are doing half of their role because you don't need a full-time biddable specialist or you don't need a full-time programmatic trader or whatever it is, but you need access to one of them. And so I think there's a hard hard thing for clients as well is that they used to have a team of, say, three that knew them personally and, and could do the job around buying television and buying, you know, a little bit of digital really, really well. And now as it goes into more and more specialised areas, it all needs to make one whole. And so there are more people involved, but you can't find people that are going to be able to do all of those things perfectly in one. So mm. so it's, it's just having that relationship and conversation with clients, I find, has evolved to what do their team structures look like and who are the people they are going to spend a lot of time with and engage with as the front face of the agency. And then who are all the other people behind the scenes doing stuff that they may not meet day in, day out. And I do liken that to an advertising agency when they're producing creative. Um, they might meet the creative director, but they may not meet the production, the EP, the people that are sourcing talent, because that's all being done behind the scenes for them. And so I I think we need to have a look at how our, our structures have evolved as well. Mm. Do, do you think um, media agencies as well might benefit f- from getting more senior marketing people on board like, like yourself, Mark, making the switch over? <laughs> well, yeah, I can ask Katie the question. <laughs> I'm sure Katie would prefer us not to be that. No, <laughs> um, no it's good. Um, oh, look, I think it's, it, it's one of those open switches. I think, I think there's advantages um, of coming in. You've also got to know your limitations. I remember I was being interviewed for this job and I actually said to Dominic Proctor at the time, I said, look, Dom, I'm really worried that three months in you're going to fire me because you're going to realise I'm not a media expert. And he goes, I've got a thousand of those in the building. I don't need another one. Mm. Um, and I think, it, I think it's a balance. There's always, look, I can bring a different thought. I'm not an expert. Katie here would absolutely smash me when it comes to technical media buying strategy or the technology. Um, what I can do is hopefully just bring a perspective around where are clients at today. Mm. Um, I'm trying to keep very much client focused. I've, I've said I want to position myself as a client CEO. And when we're talking in the office or having meetings, it's that's really interesting, but what's in it for the client? Or how do we better serve their client? Or if the client's got to that place, maybe we haven't understood their business well enough. Have we had enough senior meetings? Have we actually been out and touched their business? So it's bringing that lens on top of what we've already great, which I think is a great business and a powerful um, and very talented group of people. It's just a different lens. Yeah. And I think the other the other big hot topic uh, in the industry at the moment is diversity. And obviously, Katie, you're one of a, a handful of female CEOs in media agencies. Um, obviously, recently, Amy Buchanan, OMD, promoted into the top role there. Um, there's Virginia Highland um, and Wendy at M2M. But there's very few women in very senior leadership positions. Um, how, I mean, is that something that that the industry is doing enough to actively change and how do we how do we make sure there's more of a balance in the in the top end of leadership i think what's great to start with is just the number that you did and and mel fine at um ensemble as well and you know it was wonderful to hear about amy the other day i think that was really really great um so at least we're getting more if if that i think when i was was made CEO what three and a half years ago I was the only female and I know it opened a bit of a can of worms so hopefully already the industry is doing more um it is a passion topic for me but I think 
that we have to look more at the fact that to address the problem of females in leadership, we need to actually address the flexibility issue of the industry. So making sure that we're creating a flexible enough workforce that women, and, and again, a lot of women will say that they... Um, have to take time out to have their baby if that's their choice and again whatever choice you make is entirely up to you and neither choice should should hold your career back in any way but if you do talk to women they'll say well I take a year off so that puts me back a year Um, or I'll come back and I'll want to do less days etc so it's about how do you create an industry that's flexible enough to encourage women back into the workforce if they've taken some time off to have a child and how do you facilitate them being able to do both things well and equally for working dads the same thing should be afforded to them. I think the issue we have as well is that there was a long period of time there where there weren't any women in the top at all. And so you're seeing the lag effect of the women that came through my generation jumping out too early, going, I, I, this industry is not right for me. I can't have a life. I can't have a partner. I can't have a child. I can't, I, I want, so rather than slog it out in, in what's a rather energized and hectic industry, I'm going to leave and go and do something else. And so hopefully now as they've got more and more females taking leadership roles, hopefully we're seeing more and more girls coming through going, and I shouldn't say girls in a patronizing way. I just mean being younger women coming through saying, cool, that, that is totally possible. It's doable. You can kind of see that. Exactly. That sort of- role yep. model ahead exactly of right because i know that group m has done some stuff at kind of um a top level sort of a year or 18 months ago there was a few sort of initiatives sort of coming in to actually ch- you know change that into action and not just talk about it so yeah. i mean are you seeing those things have an impact already on the kind of on the workforce oh absolutely yeah. for us i think as well um it's kept people in that may not even be having a child right now in the agency group because they know that benefit will will play out for them but absolutely um i know steady and now mark we've got champions of females and diversity in our business and we can see that coming through yeah and i think the um i couldn't agree with katie more to me it's about total diversity not just about gender and i think it's about us being willing um and certainly we're trying to do that at group m to just have the conversation again so uh, we've got people, I think we've actually got quite a lot of female people in senior roles, may not be at CEO levels, but they're certainly on the excos, they're certainly on the senior leadership team. So they're at the, you know, the top of the senior management teams in the organisations um, and they need flexibility as well. So some of them don't come in until 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, we're very clear on which nights they need to go home. Um, even in our own CEO meetings, we sit down and have an open conversation and go, what do you need and what nights would it not make sense for us to have meetings? Or if we're going to organise a dinner, Katie, for example, it would be, please don't do that on a Thursday night because I've got, that's mm. the night that I need to pick up. So we, I think you just have to have the conversation and, and demonstrate, as Katie said, that we're genuine about wanting, and for me, it's about everybody's life. You know, I don't believe in work-life balance. Um, I believe in people being empowered enough to actually manage their life and do what they need to do. And if that means they have to drop kids off, if it means you know, I go sailing on a Thursday afternoon, um, it's in my diary. It's actually part of my self-care. It's part of my management of my life. And I think everybody should should take that on. We um, we worked with She Says, the, the kind of networking yeah. organisation earlier this year, and they ran a survey getting sort of feedback from the creative industry um, and women in, in sort of creative positions. And some of the, the real stories that, mm. that people have been through and been exposed to, very recently, I mean, some of it reads like you're still in the 50s and it's kind of... You know, it, it yeah. makes the blood boil and it makes yeah. you kind of embarrassed for the industry that these things are still a reality, yeah, Exactly. you know, fairly broadly. And I think it's um, it's just good for it to be top of mind for everyone to be addressing it, I think. Because while there's, you know, there's success stories and there's great issues of great examples of it improving, 
there's it's, still a lot to Yeah, let's to get not fixed. pretend it's fixed because also mm. the, the, the stats are proving it's not fixed because even just outside of media, which does really well in, in terms of female um, in leading roles, already you can see there are not enough women on board. So, yeah, let's not pretend it's fixed and um, let's keep talking about how we address it, not just the issue, but how do we make it better. So they're two fairly big uh, big topics and we're sort of coming close to, to wrapping up. What do you think next year are going to be the big topics that, that keep the industry busy and hit the headlines? Uh, for, for me, I think there'll, there'll be um, a couple. Um, that I think that would be important to us. I still think there's one around talent. Um, the industry's got a huge shortage and I find it a bit of a disconnect because there's a lot of vacancies and yet there's a lot of really intelligent graduates out there that are unemployed. Um, so we've got to find this this disconnect about actually how do we fill the roles because there's a lot of opportunity in the industry. Um, so I think there's an opportunity for us to, to get better at promoting the industry and actually bringing people in because at the end of the day, it's not just the media industry. You're actually entering the communication industry and you can have a fantastic career. And we all know these days no career is linear and it's about different experiences and picking up skills. So to me, that will be one. And the other one's still going to be around technology um, and the drive into technology, addressable TV, programmatic um, did going on television at the scale that we'll need to make uh, and the last one I think that the industry really is has to tackle is going to be measurement mm. um, and that's across every level you know we, we've heard about not marking your own homework we've heard about all the different measurements I think the industry just needs to step up and say why do we measure we measure to be accountable and actually be able to as an industry we want to know how effective a combined plan is not one channel versus another they don't happen anymore we do, we're doing very complex plans. We should have access to independent data that enables us as an industry to keep demonstrating to clients that it's working and they're getting a return on investment. And guess what? They'll spend more money and will drive more growth. So let's grow up and have the conversation versus having, you know, I think pretty fragmented conversations around measurement. What are your hot issues for 2017? Well, I, I couldn't agree more around the talent, um, technology and measurement. So absolutely. One that I'll throw into the mix from a client point of view is I think there'll be a tipping point between, and I've said it before and on, on our news panel as well, but um, between balancing brand fame and direct response um, ROI. So I, I feel like... Uh, we've been able to get so pithy and so targeted with our audiences that it's also been really easy to put a lot of money into that final click or into the place that we know is driving a, a dollar um, for dollar or even more um, in the media choices. And again, conversion plays a really big role, obviously, but there has to be education around the fact that consideration and awareness and brands actually standing for something in popular culture is going to be a big push into driving conversion. And you don't always see that payback in the dollar. You see it as a long-term. Mm. So what I'm trying to say there, I think, is that the balance of short, um, short and long-term data and actually being able to interrogate those and make decisions that have longevity for a brand that is going to be a key point for clients because I think a few have swung a little bit too far and are now starting to go, wow, my awareness and brand health measures are eroding really, really quickly. Yeah. And oh, ultimately, after 18 months of doing this one thing, I'm now seeing that my conversion numbers are also starting to um, drop. So there's only so much you can do. It's a tactics versus brand building. Mm. Absolutely. And both play a role. And, you know, again, I get it at a boardroom table. The marketer has to go, this money, this $3 million you're investing is going to pay back this. 
to potentially people that don't understand, like to their, some of their stakeholders who may not be from marketing or from, from our world. I, I totally understand the, the conundrum they're in, but equally they have a responsibility to their brands long long after the next six months. Mm. And how are you going to make sure that your brand has health well into the next two years? Yeah, I think it's a great challenge. Having <laughs> lived through it uh, multiple times, the I think the marketing guys, you know, and all the CMOs out there, we need to um, have faith again in the profession and what we do and be really good at strategy um, and have those strategies executed um, over a period of time. I know when I was at McDonald's, the day we, we stopped doing short-term tactics and we got the business focused around long-term strategies, focusing on truly addressing consumer tensions and investing in platforms over time and generally trying to say, guys, we want to deliver sustained growth, the business turned. Yeah, and for two and a half, three years now later, they're still delivering consistent growth week in, week out, because it's not short term anymore. They're generally investing in brands, they're investing in platforms, and they're doing things that the consumer notices, yeah, and it's invested in over time. And there's great stats about you need at least six months in market, and you can't judge something on two or three weeks. It's got to be what's mm-hmm. the impact over six months or more. Um, but you've got to be bloody brave to be able to stand up and confident in yourself and in your team and talk to the CEOs and talk to your boards and go, I know this is what you want me to do, but I'm actually here to do the right thing and this is what I need to do for you. Let's go down that journey together, have an open conversation about it. And even if you just buy a year and say, guys, we've been doing this and it hasn't worked. Let's just try this for a year. And at the end of the year, let's look at each other again and go, maybe it didn't work. But give the CMOs the space to get a year out before we're cutting stuff off. Yeah. You need a weeks. trusting CEO who mm. kind yeah. of buys into brand and marketing. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And again, you, the brilliant thing about media is we can optimise in real time anyway. So once it's in market, you can optimise absolute hell out of something. Um, conversely, I will say that's why transparency conversation is really important too because every client needs to trust the recommendations their media agencies are making is for the benefit of their brand and the channels that we're recommending are so we can see their business and their brand grow when they may not always see the payback tomorrow because we're recommending doing something that's about a brand builder and therefore again why I encourage the transparency debate because if that neutralizes and means you trust our decision bring it on Mm. and we can all get to creating great work. But how realistic is that when you consider that CMO tenures are getting shorter? And there's so few CMOs at board level. So you're sort of up against this cultural challenge in the C-suite and above um, where they probably don't understand marketing the way it should be understood. Um, so how do you actually get around those, those issues and what role can media agencies play to help CMOs? Um, so I think there's a lot we can do. Um, uh, but it does come back to conviction. It does come back to um, the CMO also being able to have that conversation with the CEOs, and they're not easy. I can tell, I've done it in Unilever, I've done it at McDonald's, I've done it in Pepsi. Um, I think you can galvanise and you don't need the whole board behind you, you just need one or two people who are happy to be your support. And um, one of the ways to do it is actually break the business the old way, okay, and then demonstrate, yeah, and I actually did that at McDonald's. We got to the point at McDonald's that literally we nearly broke the business. Okay, we're doing so many launches and so many short-term tactics that actually the operators from the restaurants were calling up saying, can you please stop? You're killing us. It's like, oh, good. I've got to the breaking point. Now let's change strategy. So I do think you also have to be a bit creative. Um, I've had discussions with very, very senior regional presidents about a change in strategy and being able to demonstrate to them that this is what we've done for three years. And if we don't change, this is what's going to happen. Here's a new strategy that is going to be different. It's, I need 12 to 18 months air cover 
before it's going to bite and this is what's going to happen but in 18 months we'll be in a much better position than what we are by not doing this will you buy me that air cover will you come on that journey um, and I've done it I've done it probably half a dozen times now in companies and it always pays off but you can't you've got to have that conversation if you don't have that conversation with your CEO and he's just looking for short-term results and they're under huge pressure as well but don't forget they they've got longer tenure okay so he can't hire behind firing three or four CMOs in his tenure he generally needs to just demonstrate value creation for shareholders and sustain growth anyway. Um, but it's not easy. But I do think we have to help. Um, oh, yeah, because uh, yeah, I, I think from a media point of view, obviously we're further removed then from, uh, you know, Mark being a CMO where he can actually rally it and make it happen. And, and the, value, the, the way we can help CMOs with that is also test and learn. So you know what? If your board are really pushing back or your stakeholders really don't buy into this, let's test and learn in a market. Let's change the strategy entirely there and we'll use control markets to figure out what's happened and start giving you case study. Secondly, there are always case studies case to studies. prove, you know, not necessarily case studies to prove the innovation thing in market is going to be, you know, when you've been asked to do the most innovative thing but prove it's worked. That doesn't always happen. But when it comes to something like making strategic business decisions on balancing brand health with um, fast moving, fast returning um, channels, there's always precedent set. So global case studies and then a test and learn in a market is an easier way to get their stakeholders across the line. And if that fails, just hire Mark Ritson and get him to come <laughs> to a board meeting. Yeah, exactly. Get him, to, uh, get him to explain it to them. Yeah, do a deal with Mark. So thank you so much for both uh, coming in today. Awesome. Oh, thanks. It's been a thank pleasure. you. Today's Ad News podcast is being produced by the good folk at Nova Entertainment, including executive producer Andy Milne and sound engineer Shelley Klum. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.